got married in 1980 and we're madly in love for our whole whole marriage and then and then all of a sudden we had to figure out what was the glue that was holding us together because up to this point um we were very much joined at the hip and everything not mm-hmm. even uh, not just you know working in the church and this you know our friendships our couple friends and you know mm-hmm. our kids parents and, and their friends parents and all this kind of stuff you know but we also were very much on the same page um, spiritually speaking, you know, ideologically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but when this all happened and things started to change, we started to wonder if the glue that had held us together was gone and we had to figure out a new way to, to be a couple. Yep. <laughs> you got to bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. <laughs> It's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on. Did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're a visionary. I see your connection here. (laughs) Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. What are you doing? You're just taking your time. I am. Must be nice to have a Monday to yourself. You are like moving, gone, ready to go. I'm just enjoying life. I took a nice bike ride this morning. Yeah. You were raring to go on the other day when we were... Hiking? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we went on a hike, also called Forced Family Fun, and uh, they were forced, but they had fun, right? Right. You call it a hike. We call it a... There were lots of words the kids were saying (laughs) on this hike. Which of my words should I use? (laughs) So it was a very tall, tall hill, mountain. Yeah, this thing, there's maybe a, a mountain. You know, here's the deal. All of you listeners, all of our friends out there, if Andre ever invites you <laughs> on a hike, a Beware. trail, a Bring bike lots ride, of extra water. <laughs> anything related to distance and time, there it's going to be, be longer and not fully explained on the front end. Longer and, and harder and need more water, which was like our bike ride that you were also harping about on our last it's kind of like this podcast that we're about to get into <laughs> it's not what you think it's how you think that i love i i love how you think i don't really love what you think in those moments what we do i brought everybody on a nice big hike up a mountain up a big one and i mean it was kids... Mount, it was basically mount rainier <laughs> no <laughs> and the kids were dying and Jeff was like, I can't believe you made us do this. I mean, everybody was mad. This is the whole point of it. When you get to the top, don't you just feel so much better because you conquered that thing? I mean, if it was easy, who cares when you get to the top? Like you're like, eh, I could do that like in my sleep. Who cares? But that was like, it took effort and grit and sweat worth it. Wow. Makes it worth it. Wow, mom. <laughs> That's what my kid said. Slow clap. Great motivational talk, babe. <laughs> Appreciate that. Let's get into the yeah. interview. Enough about, listen, enough about me and you. Okay. Okay. Enough about the mountain. <laughs> We've lived through that already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Today we're talking about change. Lots of change. So we are speaking to David Hayward and he is also known online as the Naked Pastor. Look him up at Naked Pastor. He's got. Hang on, that sounded weird. Look, look him up. 
at a naked pastor. <laughs> really? At naked pastor. Did is you do his, that intentionally? Is his look him up? Look up a naked pastor online. Oh lordy, you know what I mean, <laughs> and he'll laugh about it. He wrote a book called "Till Doubt Do Us Part." And it's a lot about what happens when you're in a partnership or a marriage and you start to change. You change your mind, you change your thoughts and beliefs and how to make it through together. Yeah, we all have friends that are in this. It might be you. So I want you to listen for three things. Number one, couple skate. Slowing it down. Number two, investing in your marriage. Very few people do it. And number three, elasticity. Oh, that was a good word there. That was good. That was a good word right there. Like a rubber band. All right. So here we have it. David Hayward. Lisa and I met at a college. I'm Canadian. And I went to a college in Springfield, Missouri. Mm. And she's from Alabama, deep south Alabama. Yeah. And went to the same college. And um, I saw her walk in the cafeteria one morning for breakfast, and I thought, wow, I thought she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. And, and I figured out a way to meet her. Uh, actually, it was at a roller rink. <laughs> and yes. um, I eventually figured out a way to get a skate in with her and couple skate. Yes. Yeah, okay. couple skate. This is slow it down, yeah. everybody, because it's couple skate. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, she was there with her boyfriend, but I... Oh! <laughs> There's a good twist. <laughs> I maneuvered, and I won. Yes. Wow. How many years have you been married? 40. Wow. 40 yeah. years. And for the record, this is our second Canadian on the podcast. Second. We had Hillary McBride. We did. So then you both were, for the beginning stages of your marriage and life, right, you basically were in kind of ministry things, working together. Is that correct? Yeah, I went went from there. On, I went and got my master's in Boston. And then from there, I went into the ministry, basically. Long story short. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we basically uh, worked in churches for pretty much our whole life until I left the ministry in 2010. Okay. And she was a stay-at-home mom that had part-time jobs as well. Uh, along the way, home health care kind of things, because she always thought she would like to be a nurse. And and then when I left the ministry in 2010, uh, it's just before that, she decided to go back to university and uh, got her nursing degree. Mm-hmm. And she graduated as the oldest student that year. Yeah. And I was very proud of her. And now she's a palliative care nurse in a hospice home. And then I, I do um, I do what I do on, online full time. Okay. And now did she go back to work and go back to this nursing thing like after your kids were out of the house or? Yeah, kind of empty nest, you yeah. know, and figured she would give it a shot and, and went for it. Took her five years and uh, she graduated and is a full-time nurse now. So it's a big deal. And I was going to say, so you empty nested. She started a new career and you left the church all around the same time. Yeah. How'd that all go? It was rough. Uh, that was probably the roughest period of our of our marriage. I left the ministry and all of our connections and friends and everything were in the church. Mm-hmm. So we basically left our friends, left my pay, mm-hmm. and I left my sense of purpose and meaning in life. Uh, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Lisa um, had gone back to university full-time, student, 
nursing, totally devoured every moment she had. And uh, our kids were out of the house. And because we'd had such a rough go in ministry, we had to file for bankruptcy. And mm. so you name it, man, it was like, it was like a dump truck backed up onto us and, and just dumped. There was a couple of years there where it was touch and go. We wondered if we were going to make it. So it was, it was a rough time. Mm. But here we are. We made it. I think a lot of what we're talking about today is about change. Basically, when we're kind of leading into it with everything that happened all at the same time with you, but basically when parts of you change and your partner might not be in the same space. Right. Talk a little bit about what was the change and how that change happened with you and then how that then affected Lisa. Yeah. So there's two kinds of change, I guess. There's the external stuff, right? So when I was working for the church, Lisa and I were pretty much partners and and worked together a lot. Um, We're a team. But then when uh, I I left the ministry and she went back to university, uh, I went and did my thing. I went and taught at a university for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a student at a university for five. So those external changes, the bankruptcy, the loss of friendships and community and support. But there's the interchange too, for which was really really difficult transition for us, Mm. which was my beliefs were changing. Lisa's beliefs were changing. Our sense of what was worthwhile in life, what was worth pursuing, what was worth keeping, what was worth letting go. You know, the external changes and the inner inner changes that we were going through at the time. Plus, you know, throw in maybe a little bit of midlife crisis kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and all that too, um, because we're that age. And it really was a very traumatic and scary time for us. Because, you know, we fell madly in love. We were just madly in love and um, got married in 1980. And we're madly in love for our whole whole marriage. And then, and then all of a sudden we had to figure out what was the glue that was holding us together. Because up to this point, um, we were very much joined at the hip and everything. Not mm-hmm. even, uh, not just, you know, working in the church and this, you know, our friendships, our coupled friends and, you know, mm-hmm. our kids' parents and their friends' parents and all this kind of stuff, you know. But we also were very much on the same page, um, spiritually speaking, you know, ideologically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but when this all happened and things started to change, we started to wonder if the glue that had held us together was gone and we had to figure out a new way to, to be a couple. Mm-hmm. So we, we really... Actually, we really had to sit down and renegotiate. Like, how how are we going to do this? What mm-hmm. is what is the glue that held us together? And we came to the conclusion that it wasn't compatibility of beliefs mm. or ideology or you know anything like that. It was love, mutual respect, and respecting one another's space and trusting one another through our own journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like I said in my a recent post I did. I said. That I didn't fall in love with what she thought. I fell in love with how she thought. And mm-hmm. so that that sort of, I fell in love with the person of Lisa, how that makes itself manifest in different ways, has a, a wide variety, mm-hmm. um, and to appreciate that. That sounds beautiful in theory. <laughs> Ooh, the cynic is right? coming out. <laughs> but then you have to go into decision-making modes, right? At times right. when beliefs are in contrast Mm -hmm. and you're making 
collaborative decisions. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? I don't think I felt any of that kind of pressure, or at least I felt any of that kind of pressure, because we pretty much had already formed our own lives. Mm. I was a teacher in university, and then she was a student becoming a nurse. And so we already sort of established our own lives. And basically, the way we handled our money and the way we thought about um, spending or, Mm. you know, what car to drive or schedule, all that was superfluous. It doesn't really mean that much. Now, if this had happened when our kids were younger, yeah, exactly. yeah. that that would have been uh, way more difficult yeah. to navigate for sure. But thankfully they were all by this time, you know, young adults and were able to handle themselves and figure, they were already on their own paths anyway. Yeah. And so the, I think the major kind of really, important decisions, stuff we've already done. Mm. Yeah. If you have three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and you're wrestling through how to discipline, how to raise yeah. this child, if you know, you it's go like to church or not. It's yeah. that transcending y- your beliefs yeah. onto your children and raising right. them in a certain way. That's hard, right. right? Yeah, for sure. And I see a lot of people like, I just talk with people every day about this. That's why I wrote my book, Tilled Out Do Us Part, um, When Changing Beliefs Change Your Marriage, because I see a lot of marriages blow up, and um, mm-hmm. even young marriages, uh, because maybe they have kids or whatever, and they, they're in the middle of forming a way of life, whereas mm-hmm. Lisa and I had already formed our way of life. You know, we were kind of beyond that, mm-hmm. um, and, and so these kind of uh, things were less traumatic. Our struggle was more existential, I think. Mm-hmm. inward rather than, you know, how are we going to do this? The lifestyle versus like a small percentage of your inner belief. The, mm-hmm. Your lifestyle, you guys had already kind of agreed to, it seems like. Yeah, Lisa and I were kind of spoiled because like we served the church for mm-hmm. so many years and um, we were very much a team and we spent tons of time together. I mean, even though she had part-time jobs here and there, she didn't go off 40 hours a week and me go off 40 hours a week, and then we meet in the evening. We were together a lot. And so we were kind of spoiled that way, where we were good friends and uh, spent a lot of time together. The interesting thing is, even though we loved it, it might not have been all that healthy the way we handled it. Because I I think now, and you know, we've talked with counselors and therapists since then, when we were going through this hard time I was telling you about, where they said, you know what, you guys are really entangled. Can you talk about a little bit of this, like you get married and you start just using this like we dialogue all the way through all the time versus like the individual. And you, Mm -hmm. I think you even touched or said a little bit about like possibly leading into codependency things. Oh, oh, totally. But we loved it though. I I know. (laughs) We all love that, right? Well, talk a little bit about that we versus like me, that individual self versus this like we self that couples think has to happen. Yeah. So that's something Lisa and I had to go through 30 years into our marriage. Like up to that point, we were enmeshed, entangled. We were like totally like absorbed in one another. And we were like literally like one, Mm -hmm. but not in a healthy way. Well, I don't know whether you want to call it healthy or unhealthy. What it was, was we needed to grow beyond that. Mm -hmm. We discovered we needed to learn how to individuate um, Mm -hmm. and become healthy individuals individuals who became voluntarily interdependent 
rather than codependent mm-hmm. and or dependent. So it was a tough go going through that transition. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a it was a necessary one, one we had to go through for sure. Mm-hmm. And and we basically sat down and said, look, we're two different people. We met and fell in love. What was it that I fell in love with in Lisa? Was it our compatibility of beliefs? No, it never even entered the conversation. So we got to the root of what what it was that attracted us to one another and that was still there and and so that's what kept our marriage alive and it's better now than ever because i think we're healthier individuals it's made our relationship healthier so let's i want to go backwards you were mentioning earlier about falling in love not not with what she thought but how she thought there's a couple listening right now and they're going through i mean we're all i think at times evolving what we believe in and shifting different things with new experiences, with new reading we do with like, there's constant growth. Hopefully that's happening in your relationship. How do you get to that place with the resolution that you had? What advice would you give to those people that are in it right now? And they're like, I don't know what's going on in my partner's mind and heart and spirit. Cause this is a different person than who I married. Right. One of the things Lisa and I, we were always investing in our marriage. So for some reason, this happened to me last year. I was with a group of people, a bunch of couples, particularly in this case, husbands and wives. Somehow it came up in the conversation about books and books to do with marriage. Because I, at this time, I was starting to assemble my chapters and cartoons for my book on marriage, Till Doubt to His Part. Not one married couple had read a book on marriage. Right. Or relationships. We are talking about this a lot, a right lot because... Yes, we 100% agree. And I'm like, how have you been married this long? Most people that we talk to, they they were forced to read a book with their counselor when, <laughs> they, when they got married. I know. And they haven't read anything And then since. haven't read since. I know. I, and I looked at them and like, you've never read one book on like relationships or communication? And it really sucks when you're putting out a book on marriage, doesn't it? Well, we're, we've been married five years. We're fine. Right. Yes. And, and so Lisa and I were the opposite. For some reason, we went to every marriage encounter that came up. We went to marriage counseling. We went to spiritual direction together. We had therapy. We went to marriage workshops. You name it. We, we got all the books. There's a lot of bad ones. There's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> and and uh, anything from conservative to liberal, like and everything in between, we were reading everything and even getting therapy as recently as when uh, I, you know, I left the ministry and so on and, and following that. So it's like, that's what I think you need to do is invest. I talk mm-hmm. about this a lot is how, you know, if your car starts rattling or a wheel starts jiggling or whatever you you take it in and you get it repaired, just put the money down. But nobody wants to put the money down when it comes to their <laughs> to their marriage. The wheels could fall right off their relationship, but they don't care. And, and usually it's the wheels fall off the relationship or whatever. And one says it's her fault. And she says it's his fault. And they just go their separate ways. And it's sad. I think you talk about that too, like in your book about the personal growth that if one individual is very much pursuing that and the other partner doesn't also pursue their individual growth in the same way, you make a statement that it's widening the gap between them if one partner decides not to. 
Yeah, I think that's the chapter where I talk about the elastic, where in my experience and observation, it's mostly women who experience this frustration, wives, uh, to be honest. Mm -hmm. just, I'm just saying what I, from my own personal experience and observation, Mm -hmm. It's mostly wives who experience frustration that their husbands won't invest. They won't go for counseling. They won't read a book. They won't watch a video. They won't do anything. They won't talk, you know, uh, whatever. And, and she's trying to grow and she's like attached to him. And she's on this elastics trying to stretch and move and grow. Eventually, the elastic snaps. And she feels responsible because the elastic snaps. You know, she feels shame and blames herself and saying our, our relationship blew up because I wouldn't just be content mm. and stay home or, you know, just remain who I was. And I had to change. I had to grow. I had to explore and I ruined everything. It's not her fault. It's the guy's fault for not moving with her. The mm. fact that the elastic band broke is it's his fault that he didn't move. Mm. It's not her fault because she was moving and stretching it. Mm. So yeah, I see it all the time. So, but there is this, unfortunate like newlywed mentality that no one will fully like they they won't admit to it but all newlyweds think they're going to get their partner to change a bit in their direction <laughs> right like and then over time you realize oh no they're going to change they're actually going to change to be less like the way that I wanted them to change it. <laughs> and you know and you're kind of in this right it seems like at the core in order for you to stay with this partner you've chosen, you have to accept that they're going to change in ways that you did not intend them to change. Is that kind of like the underbelly of kind of how you've learned to keep going? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you right up front. And I've, I've done a lot of marriage counseling as a pastor. Um, and and I'll, I'll say this right up front too. If, if I think there's issues that are beyond my scope of expertise, mm -hmm. Uh, I send them to a professional like marriage relationship counselor. Um, but if people just want to talk about the relationship, if one person is talking about how the other person needs to change or whatever, I try to bring it back to, you know, you actually need to think about how you're going to change. Mm -hmm. That's, that's actually how you have to think mm -hmm. the way uh, a lot of couples think, like you said, uh, okay, I'm going to get her to change or I hope she changes, or hope this changes, or whatever. Actually, your first thought, and the healthiest thought, and the only way this is going to work is if you say, how can I change? Hmm. Otherwise, you're going to constantly be putting the burden of expectation on your partner, yeah. and, and that's going to build resentment pretty quickly. Hmm. You know, you're 40 years later, yeah. and it seems like you're learning that the point is, what does our relationship look even beyond the scope of of that spectrum. Is that fair? Yeah. How would you yeah. So like Lisa and I now, um, we're, we're no longer joined at the hip, you know, uh, we, uh, have two separate lives. She works full time in a hospice home, uh, helping people die. I work at home online. I basically, uh, live the life of a hermit when she's not here. And, um, then when she's off, we spend as much time together as we can going on, you know, day trips or on dates and stuff like that. But it's that individuation, that learning how to live separate lives, voluntarily becoming interdependent. Can you still talk about the differing views? Or is that like, is that a space you're like, okay, ground rule number one, we can't talk about these things because we disagree on it. Or is that part of the relationship? 
No, we talk about everything. That's good. Maybe too much, but we talk about everything. <laughs> and there's nothing, nothing hidden, no secrets. I do remember after leaving the ministry and being in university teaching, and she would ask me, for example, Lisa would say, do you pray anymore? Mm. <laughs> kind of thing. And I felt immediately defensive and even anger and confusion because I didn't know how to answer that question. So, but now we can have these discussions because the freshness of that wound is, you know, healed over. Mm. Uh, that whole period of time was difficult because it was like a fresh wound and you couldn't touch it, mm-hmm. couldn't even look at it. You had to let some time pass and some healing happen before we could safely sit down and talk about it like we can now without any tension or defensiveness or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's hard. Like thinking about friends that have different perspectives on all different aspects of life and deep relationship. When they broach the conversation, oftentimes it's like, it feels like I'm being judged right now or you disagree. It's like an argument Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. versus kind of like what you were saying earlier, loving how she thinks, even if she thinks differently than how you think or what you think. Yeah. You appreciate her thoughtfulness, right? Yeah. So what I'm, I'm online a lot. I spend a lot of time online and um, she's not that kind of a person. Like she has a real job with real people in a real geographical building place. She drives there, drives home. Whereas I'm, I'm online. All my relationships are online. Not all. I have some real friends too. And, and we have some real friends too, which was, took time to develop, but we do. So now when she comes home, for me to not be online is really, really, really difficult. Like she can leave her work. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time leaving mine because it's right there at my fingertips, right? Yeah. Now, our difficult conversations gravitate around how long we're online, what are we doing, all this kind of thing. It, it's a new development where we've had to pull out our skills to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. I like also, you had put a quote in your book that I highlighted. It said, marriage is like a crucible of transformation. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Why do you think (laughs) marriage is that crucible? Well, actually, uh, that was inspired by one of the best books on marriage, in my opinion. Yeah. His name's David Schnark, and the book is called Passionate Marriage. Mm. It's actually in the book. I have it. Jeff is reading it right now. It's the best book on marriage, bar none. He talks about that. And, and I totally agree. It just makes sense. When two people enter into a relationship, enter into a marriage, it's like a crucible. Change has to happen when you enter in a relationship like that. Mm-hmm. And if one partner doesn't change and the other is changing, it's going to just create all kinds of tension and it's not going to last. So if Andre changes, Jeff has to change. Mm-hmm. He has to change. If I change, Lisa has to change. It, mm-hmm. It's this uh, conformity providing space for one another, shifting. And so when Lisa grows in a certain direction, it forces me to. I have to grow in a, in a way as well. And it's those um, people who just belligerently stay stuck in one place and never change. Uh, if their partner changes, it's like they've broken a contract. But you would say you don't have to change in the exact same direction. No, that's right. right? No, it doesn't mean, you know, if you become fascinated in crystals, then Jeff has to become fascinated in crystals. Yes. That's not what I mean. Okay, great. I mean, it's if you change, Jeff has to say, well, I think crystals are stupid, but 
she's not stupid and she likes crystals. So somehow he has to change his mind and make some shifts and, and things like that. Right. That's really interesting. Cause I've seen a lot of people that a, a partner is growing in some way, changing right. in some way. Changing, yeah. And the other person it's is just stagnant and just right? mad about it or mad. <laughs> or, and, and so that person changing is going, my partner, there's nothing different about it. They lose interest because right. there's no change in their lifestyle. How would you advise that person that you're like, one person is changing, growing, learning, and yeah. feels like the other's not. What do you say to that? How do you help and counsel that other person in some The way? one who doesn't want to change? Yeah. What do you do about that? Nothing? What can you do? I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been in situations like that where the husband and the wife are sitting in front of me. How do you counsel them? What do you do? Just say good luck? <laughs> That's yeah. probably not going to work. Might as well be a piece of wood sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I, I do want to say about this because sometimes that change takes time, right? Like you said, in that ten years ago, you yeah. were in this crossroads moment, right? Mm-hmm. And you were like, "I don't know if this is going to work," but that you were in that moment for multiple years trying to figure it out, right? Couple couple of years were scary, touch and go. So and then- a lot of couples, though, in, in that moment, would give up. Well, there was a few times Lisa packed her bags and left mm-hmm. yeah. and, and we, we just didn't. And you know what? I didn't care. That's how bad we were. Uh, it was yeah. like, it was like, I, I just, I'm not feeling anything. So what changed? You know, I, when I left the ministry and all that, all the, all, everything was happening. I left my job. I left my career, my vocation. It, my, my world had turned upside down. Lisa was working full time. Your kids were gone. And I thought I was doing fine at first. But actually, the truth is, I come to realize later, was that I was numb. i just frozen. Mm. I wasn't feeling anything. Well, I thought that was a good feeling, just not feeling anything. And that's my coping mechanism. You know, there's fight or flight. Mine's freeze. I just freeze mm. when, when I'm going through trauma, usually. And, and at this time, I was. I actually, I was just frozen. And... I remember Lisa sitting in front of me one time. She just looked at me and says, you need help. And it was the perfect timing, perfect timing. Because I was like, you're right. I need help. And that's when I sought out a marriage counselor (laughs) and, uh, you know, a a therapist for me. And then Lisa joined in later. So you started individual counseling first. Right. You said in your book that suffering in our relationships are rooted in fantasy. And that basically, like, this idea, like, can we accept our partner as they are rather than as we wish them to be? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the suffering rooted in fantasy. Unrealistic expectations is what you're saying, huh? Yeah, I'll get personal here. It's like with my relationship with my with my dad, let's say. Like, I always had this fantasy of what a father should be like and a father-son relationship should be like. And uh, later in life, I wasn't experiencing that. And it was a a source of a lot of frustration and sadness for me. Um, and then I finally found the nerve to talk with him one evening uh, when I was visiting. And uh, I realized I have totally have a fantasy about what I think my dad should be. Mm. But here is my dad in front of me, who's not my fantasy, who told me he loved me. He just didn't understand me. Mm. So like for me, that was like, okay, well, he must be trying but this is, this is what it is. Uh, this is my dad. And this mm-hmm. is how he loves me. And, and I let the fantasy go. And when you let that fantasy go, all your frustration and hopes and desires and wishes that build up into the suffering kind of anxiety, wanting 
what you can't have. It all, it all went away. Mm-hmm. And I could appreciate my father for who he actually is. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's the same with our spouses, with our loved ones, including our kids. I mean, if we have mm-hmm. these fantasies about how our kids should be, and then they turn into teenagers and these mm-hmm. grotesque little monsters, <laughs> uh, and, and, you, and they don't measure up to your, your fantasies, like, I would never in a million years want to go through parenting teenagers ever again my whole life. Ever. But because we let them be who they are, authentic and everything, they're now wonderful human beings and we love hanging out. We're best of friends. But I would never want to do that again. It was the worst time of my life. And, and so it's the same with my, my wife, Lisa. If, if I have a fantasy about what she should be like or what she should be shaped like or what, you know, anything, if I, if I let those fantasies go and I actually fall in love with the actual person, who's there, flesh and blood, in front of me, then that's free of suffering. And you can actually love the person you're with rather than the one who's in your head. A lot of times, too, those expectations sometimes are unconscious, aren't they? I mean, a lot of that is just either what society tells us, you know, marriages should look like or what, you know, that perfect husband or wife should be. You know, isn't that sometimes just unconscious you don't even realize it yeah (laughs) i mean we're inundated with images and you know messages and all kinds of things about how we should be shaped Mm -hmm. and you know what kind of vehicles we drive and clothes we wear and uh and you got to be hot and you got to be cool and you got to be in shape and you got to be this and that and it's like if we are unconscious about that it's going to create problems so I think educating ourselves and becoming aware and just becoming conscious about, you know, I, we're all victims of it. I mean, I have body issues, you know, I have this idea in my head of what I should be shaped like. And uh, it's just stupid, really, mm-hmm. when you get down to it. If I'm healthy and I'm eating right and I'm exercising and all that, then um, I need to let those images and messages go. Mm-hmm doesn't mean I don't need to be inspired by them to maybe improve my health or whatever, but it's one thing for me that's unhealthy enough. But if I have these ideas of what my wife should be shaped like or how she should dress or et cetera, et cetera, man, it's going to toxify our relationship in no time. Mm. I see this all the time where guys are, you know, are you sure you want to eat that, you know, kind of stuff. Mm. And when you get that all day, uh, it eventually just erodes your relationship. And, and romance. I think that's been a an issue for a while. I, I actually think the issue you brought up earlier about the numbness and how you felt frozen, I think in current times right now, given the pandemic, given the weird moment we're in, in culture and in society at this second, I think numbness is actually probably the issue of our time, especially as the sun goes down a little bit more and as it gets more cold outside and the pandemic still is operating, I think numbness is actually going to exponentially increase. And I think people are just going to respond and say like, I'm just trying it's 2020. I'm just trying to get through. I'm just trying to get <laughs> like through the this. answer for everything yeah. right now and trying to lose all feeling in the middle. of it. Well, I coach people and counsel people and stuff like that. And they're like, I just don't, have it in me to create anything right now. I'm about, I wanted to write that book and it's just not, I'm like, give yourself a break, man. There's yeah. a, there's a pandemic happening right now. It's like a plague. You're in the living in the middle of a plague. 
<laughs> so it's like, uh, but I have to tell myself that too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I try to be creative every day, but sometimes it's like, it's just overwhelming. I'm in Canada too. And we're not as bad off as the United States for sure. Like I'm living in a province right now where we have no cases. So we're okay yeah. right now. Yeah. But they're talking about this second wave and, you know, all this kind of stuff and people are afraid and people are dying. I, I have a lot of connections in the United States. Um, I have a son who's living in California right now and um, it's scary yeah. and uh, can be overwhelming and debilitating. So, you know, when people are saying, I'm just feel numb or whatever, it's like, be gracious with yourself. Actually, it's normal yeah. right now. But I'm talking about a numbness that is a self-imposed coping mechanism for not dealing with your shit. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. There's a difference when you're dealing with, you know, stuff that's going on around you. That's, that's one thing. And you just sort of numb down um, because, you know, COVID-19 is overwhelming for many people. Mm-hmm. But if, if it's because you're unwilling or unable or unaware of having to deal with your own issues, that's a different kind of numb. Wow. And that's the kind of numb I was talking about. That's good. I appreciate you saying that. David, we're going to ask you our last question, which is the question we ask everybody on every interview. Do you think it is possible to stay in love, change the world, and raise a healthy family? Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. I do. 40 years in, and you're saying yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Healthy family, not perfect. So there's a big difference. Here's a question I think is really important for any community. Right down to a community of two, a husband and wife, or a couple of any kind, and or with your family, and we have three kids. It, how can I be free without violating your freedom? Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the question. So how can I be free without violating the freedom of my kids? How can my kids be free without violating our freedom as their parents? How can I be free without violating Lisa's freedom? This to me is the question. So that makes for a very dynamic, energetic, kind of spontaneous, explosive kind of community. And it's exciting because you never know what's going to happen. You never know how it's going to end up. It can be chaotic. But to me, it's creative chaos. Where uh, And now our kids are wonderful human beings. I'm, I'm so proud of them. Each one of them is different. But we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not about perfection. It's about healthy functionality as human beings mm-hmm. and um, living free while not violating the freedom of others. So that's my answer. That's really <laughs> beautiful. And now it's time for the breakdown. What'd you think, babe? Well, that was challenging. There's some things that I need to really think about. Yeah. You know, he's in a different age and stage than necessarily you and I are because we're still making a lot of decisions that revolve around our kids and our family and things like that. So he's in a different place and stage, but there's some wisdom of 40 years of marriage and working through things that he has, you know, developed. And I think one of the things I thought that really impacted me was that idea of just like, both people learning how to be healthy individuals. And then that leads to this voluntary interdependence. So when you're both becoming healthy, you're both becoming better versions of you. There's a voluntary interdependence between us as like a we 
versus this just starting out. Where are we? And there's this mm-hmm. codependence, dependency, all this kind of stuff that can get messed up um, instead of the individuality of it too. So you think interdependence is the healthy way to go? Voluntary. Voluntary interdependence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's really good, I, especially in contrast. Like there is individuality that we we are two unique humans that are yeah. living out our lives, mm-hmm. and I think that involuntary interdependency brings us back together. Yes, even if we don't see eye to eye in all things, even if we're going in different directions, even if the kids are going one way, we're going another. Even you know, yeah, that interdependence makes us be woven back together somehow. Yeah, yeah, in conversation, in life, in time. Yeah. And all that stuff. I, I thought one of his things he was talking about, we've been talking a lot about investing in marriage is just something we're seeing. Oh, yeah. Man, people don't do it. No, they don't. And it's even people that we really respect or people that we know read a lot of books, people that we know that are super, you know, like into personal growth. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll ask it's them. Like, when was like, the last book you read with On your relationships. Oh, you know? 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think I think we're feeling that and seeing that, especially even as our book is coming out and out right now. It's like people are even responding and saying, yeah, we haven't read anything since we, you know, did marriage counseling yeah. way back in the beginning or whatever. Man, I was so encouraged yesterday. Somebody put a post on Instagram. They had done their bucket list challenge, one of the challenges in the first couple of chapters. They yeah. did that together. And I was like, wow, that's the point. Yes. You invest in something it can rally the two of you to get mm-hmm. back together in some way. Uh, he said a quote at the very end that was really powerful. Yeah. A question. How can I be free without violating their freedom? Yeah. What a powerful question. That's, that's one that, that I got to like ruminate on. I got to really think about this. Whether yeah. that's close friends, coworkers, you, you. my kids, my parents, <laughs> my friends. Was I violating your freedom on that hike? (laughs) (laughs) Well. Did I violate it? Sometimes I'm not. I'm okay with you violating me. But that's a whole different thing. (laughs) Sometimes I'm okay with it. On the hike, it was all right. I dealt with it. It was kind of dramatic. The kids and I kind of overplayed it just for your own I mean... Yes. We had the, fun with The it. laying and the collapsing on the ground. I do love that the kids have kind of aired on my side of the Basically spectrum. Basically saying, I can't move. Another muscle mom. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, that. You're that a little dramatic. Yeah. I hope in this conversation, you walk away thinking, what trauma <laughs> am I bringing to my kids' lives? So they're going to bring up in counseling in the future. What I think is going to happen is they're going to be like, I'm stronger because of it. You can listen to this podcast and you might not agree with everything that was said today. I don't I don't always agree with everything that's said on this podcast. I don't even agree with everything I say myself. What and about you? you don't agree with me a lot. So. I was trying to self-evaluate <laughs> before I projected that on. Yeah, you definitely don't agree with me. We hope that this is a different kind of podcast for you. Something that if you are dealing with something about with you and your partner, not seeing eye to eye, not having same beliefs, Maybe this is something that would be helpful for you. His book is called Till Doubt Do His Part, and you can follow him at Naked Pastor. Yeah, our hope for you is one other thought that he said is, I fell in love not with what she thought, but I started to fall in love with how she thought. What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful last thought before we 
break and see you again next week. There we go. And that's another episode of Love or Work. was recorded by our favorite Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.